For decades, Mark Penn has been one of America's foremost experts on measuring and shaping public opinion. He is the founder of the Stagwell Group, a private equity fund, who previously held senior executive roles with Microsoft and WPP. He also led or served as a senior advisor on campaigns of President Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and British Prime Minister Tony Blair. Today, he takes the pulse of America amid the historic COVID-19 pandemic. Let's listen in. It's my pleasure to introduce Mark Penn, currently president of the Stagwell Group, but he has a very accomplished career of over 40 years in market research and held senior positions. I'm not going to try to drain his entire bio. You can read it in the materials, but senior positions at Microsoft, the Clinton administration, Hillary Clinton's Senate campaigns and presidential campaigns. Uh, He's very accomplished at strategic thinking. And uh, I know Mark well. I know him to be accomplished, smart, and I would say lucky to be married to our leader, Nancy. Um, He's also well known to no labels and leads the New Center. We're not here to talk about the New Center today. We're here to talk about <clears throat> the results and some polling from last week uh, that Mark today is going to interpret for us. Issues of the day uh, and how the electorate feels about them. Mark, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, Sure, Liz. Uh, we've been doing some polling since the crisis began, and the polling has been both commercial polling, that is consumer polling, in terms of what people are doing, and political polling. We do the Harvard Caps Harris poll, which is just a pro bono project, the Harvard Center for American Political Studies, with the Harris poll, which I'm chairman of. And I'm going to give you uh, an overview. Uh, of public opinion, both generally and related to politics, and then turn it over for questions or however else you want to run it. Um, and we, this is really current data. This data is out of the field really within the last week. So <clears throat> because opinion changes so frequently week to week, uh, this, this opinion is view is fresh. So uh, with that, Liz, if you go over to the first slide. So in general, there are two ways that people seem to be getting through this crisis. (laughs) One group uh, doesn't get out of their pajamas, uh, likes to play a lot of Xbox, uh, passes the time, and orders a lot of pizzas. Uh, Another group is energetically dressed, ready to go, making the most in terms of being ready for work and and keeping a normal routine, right? And you'll see in the the data how these two groups, I don't go through all the data we have, but touch upon them a little bit. And you'll see that these are the two ways people are going through the crisis. Next. Then the, the two ways the generations are facing this. Now, the actual risk for someone in their 70s and 80s or so forth is probably about 180 times the actual risk 
of someone in the younger generation. The levels of fear are exactly the same. <laughs> so I would say the older generation with a much higher direct threat is taking this in more stoic terms uh, in context and the younger generations never having faced in much adversity since the 2009 crisis when they were too young probably to understand it is showing fear levels just as high. Then there are three kinds of companies in the way they're dealing with this crisis. Things where I say the, the pot is boiling over, which is, believe it or not, pizzas uh, are being ordered kind of more so than regular. P&G selling more of a lot of the household products. Orange juice and milk are doing quite nicely. Uh, Purell, obviously things even directly related, but even some things you wouldn't think. Then, you know, those in the middle pot, they're moving with the economy. If the economy's down 10 or 15%, they'll be down 10 or 15%. If it goes up, they'll go up. And then airlines, crews, hotels, some of the fast, some of the sit down kind of restaurants, you know, have an almost a, 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 such a dramatic uh, collapse. And to come back, they have to convince their customers not only that they're back, and not only is the economy coming back, but their products are safe. And so that's a double burden. Google doesn't have to do that. And the searches are no more or less safe than they were, but a hotel stay or whatever has a perception of greater uh, risk. Which is and so as you'll see in the data, Americans are basically juggling two emotions at the same time, fear and desire. <laughs> and both of those are welling up within them and fear right now is trumping desire. Next. Now let's look a little bit at some of the actual data. <clears throat> so when we started out here in the beginning of March, 27% were concerned that they could die as a result of the virus. 54% thought that was irrational. If you fast forward, it went up to 56%. Then it went down, then it went back up, right? So to 51%. So 51% say they fear dying of the virus and 69% now say it's completely sensible uh, to have that fear. Now, this is probably, depending upon your outlook, either the best piece of information or the most concerning piece of information, uh, depending upon what you think. For the last few weeks, 80% have feared leaving their home for essential errands. It is greater fear than you would have had World War II after 9-11 for any other incident. That has actually set down 5%. It is now only 75% who are afraid to leave their home. So part of what the backdrop here of restoring the economy is there's 25% that's comfortable uh, leaving their home, and there's about 50% afraid of dying. So a curtain of fear has descended upon the country, and I'm not making a value judgment. I merely observe that the fear seems to be across all generations almost equally without much relationship to the relative, you know, actual threats to different folks. But that's part of what happens when you're fighting an invisible enemy. Do you think your income will be 
lower, higher, or about the same as it was in 2019. And again, lower is 36%, 45% is about the same, 19% except expected to be higher. So it gives you some relative proportion of that there's about something more than a third of the country that is significantly uh, affected, 36% uh, significantly affected, feeling that those effects directly. A lot of younger folks have also been able to seek out additional income, jobs that might've been done by older people at the grocery stores, et cetera, are filled by younger people who, who are more willing and able to do them. And here's where we take a little bit of what are the emotions people are feeling? Uh, they're feeling appreciative, compassionate, and cabin fever and angry. And then if you've been stuck in a studio apartment somewhere on your own, certainly lonely. And this combination of gratefulness and fear, this duality of desire, frustration, and appreciation or almost uh, gratitude. And seniors by and large are more appreciative and compassionate and younger folks are more lonely and more claustrophobic. So this to me is the one of the more fascinating charts, right? So <laughs> are you skipping a couple of days of showering? Half. Or taking a daily shower? Half. Are you rolling out of bed, getting to work? Half. You maintaining your morning routine? Half. Are you staying in PJs and sweatpants? Half. Or are you properly dressed? The other half. And that shows you pretty clearly the two ways that people are getting through this crisis. So this is an important chart in terms of establishing an order of what people are comfortable with doing, right? And, and again, the question that you, that you really have is, are they comfortable pretty quickly going to the office, going out to dinner, to a gym, and then what's sort of the order? Well, you can see that they're most comfortable going back to the office, right? And if you look at that, you've got 46% comfortable with doing that immediately. And then when it comes to going out to dinner, surprisingly, that second, even though it, there are a lot of people who want to go out to, uh, there are people who want to go out to dinner and the gym class, third, public transportation is fourth, attending, going to the movies, handshake is in the middle, going to a sporting event then, uh, next, stay in a hotel. Now, there's a tremendous fear about flying on a plane. I don't know why there is so much relative fear compared to the hotel, compared to mass transit, compared to anything else, which means that the airlines have kind of a double job here of, of both doing things that they think make it uh, safe uh, before a vaccine, and second, communicating it because they are facing the, a very large wall of fear relative to going back to the office. Uh, or the gym, which would strike me as. But in any event, this is the order. And of course, cruises are at the end. Would you say you miss some of these things? So what are people missing? They want to get together with family. They want to dine out at a restaurant. They want to shop in stores. 
They're not missing going to the office. They're not missing going to school. They are not missing traveling on an airplane. Surprisingly, Jim is a little bit farther down than I would have thought. Sports is in the middle. So now with that kind of a backdrop of consumer, I'll take you through a political charts and then take as many questions on anything as you like. Um, so unless you'd rather I take questions in the middle, I'll, I'll let me roll through uh, here. So if you go through President Trump's overall approval, if you look here at the end in 2000, kind of 19, mid 2019 and early 2020, President Trump had been slowly, inch by inch, approving uh, his job rating. And uh, for 11 straight months from 44 to 49. <clears throat> That's the first month that it's set back to 47. I think following the, uh, what I'll call the Clorox press conference and kind of following his ending all of the, the daily press conferences, he actually started to set back. Uh, and instead, you know, 47 is still one of the higher ranges he achieved. You really need about at least 45 or 46 to have a reasonable chance of being reelected. At 49, they probably have an even to better even chance. Once you hit to 50, you're very likely to be uh, to be elected. So then we have his specific approval ratings all the way over to May. And you'll see he has majority approval rating on the economy, on jobs. His highest rating now is on fighting terrorism, 56. Immigration used to be a big weakness. That's at 50. Foreign affairs, 48. Uh, but reacting to the virus went from 51 to 46. So he lost five points in reacting to the virus. He's at his lowest point in terms of reacting to the virus when this poll was taken uh, the middle of last week. Uh, no question about the economy. And you can just see here how public opinion changed from the economy being on the right track versus the wrong track with you know a healthy majority saying right track. And it is now 65% wrong track and 27% right track. One wonders about that 27%, uh, but it is what it is. It's still one of the most uh, re dramatic reversals in attitudes and public opinion kind of what we're seeing, but it did not change people's attitude that Trump gets a good job for running the economy, which means that if the economy is a major issue, that is highly favorable to him. GOP approval, again, set back two points, was as high as, 40, as 48. Um, <clears throat> these are very high ratings for the GOP. The GOP usually has ratings in the low 40s, because they don't have as many members of their party as the Democrats do. And they have looked better and better uh, in the last few months. And I think these special elections uh, confirm that. So if you look at Democratic Party approval, which has generally been in the mid 40s, uh, is at the mid 40s, back one point. Uh, so Trump is at 47. The two parties are at 46 each. No one gets a majority, which is why it's a jump ball in this election, because the people who will be voting 
don't like Trump, don't like the Democrats, and don't like the Republicans. Uh, those are the decisive voters in the, in the election. But these are, it is very, very unusual for the GOP party to be tied with the Democratic party and suggests that the emphasis on Pelosi and AOC uh, probably has not been helping the overall image of the party relative to a more moderate image that may or may not come through in the presidential campaign, depending how, how Biden gets his campaign going. I probably won't go over a lot of this. There's a lot of numbers here. But let's just say that when we ask favorable, unfavorable ratings, Dr. Anthony Fauci has received, you know, is in incredible leadership and credibility status at 63%. He beats even Barack Obama at 58, FEMA at 53, Andrew Cuomo at 49, Department of Justice at 47. Uh, we haven't seen a new figure come on the scene. The CDC is a little bit higher. Trump is at 43, about where he's been, 43, 44. Deborah Bricks uh, is 42.19. She has a good favorable, unfavorable ratio, but is not as well known. Pelosi and Hillary Clinton are below Trump, uh, significantly at 39.49. And then McConnell and Schumer are below them at about 30% each. So you can see that the leaders that most people don't like are still the most, most like leaders with uh, probably notable exception of Barack Obama, uh, who as a former president uh, has achieved the right kind of former president uh, status that is typical. But Bill Clinton, if you notice, has fallen way down from some of the previous highs that he used to have. He used to be way up there. Uh, most important issue, obviously the virus, 60% people are allowed to pick three of them. Uh, and economy and jobs, the second. Healthcare and immigration before the outbreak on the virus were the number one and two issues. Healthcare was the number one issue for a while, and then immigration would flare up and it would be the number one issue. So an economy and jobs, because the economy is going well, wouldn't be as big an issue. And of course the virus wasn't here. So two issues dominate, no question about it. So we also ran a series of questions about kind of a Michael Flynn. I don't know if you're following it. So out of curiosity, I asked, do you know what Michael Flynn is charged with? You can check all that apply. So interestingly, he is actually charged with lying to FBI agents, 48. But if you add the two colluding with Russia and illegally negotiating with the Russians, 46% believe that, even though that, of course, is not part of the case. So just illustrates that this has become really just a partisan issue rather than an issue that a lot of people across the board are well informed about. Next. However, you know, I asked several ways. If you just say, do you support the uh, dropping the Flynn case? It's 51-49. If I say you drop the Flynn case because they didn't turn over all the files, it moves to 56 uh, so 44. So there's a lot of support for dropping the case as people learn the facts. And uh, if you just ask a cold question, it will be slightly for dropping the case. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, uh, what you see as polarization on these issues. So just out of curiosity, I continue to follow whether or not people believe that President Trump colluded with the Russians. <laughs> 
48% of voters, including 72% of Democrats, believe that there is evidence of collusion. Uh, this is actually down. This is the first poll in which a majority did not say there was evidence of collusion. It's generally been running reversed, 53%. So, um, and so it's 25% of Republicans, 72% of Democrats, but uh, you can judge for yourself whether there turned out to be such evidence or not. Then we did probe a set of questions and on the harvardharrispolls.com, you can look at all the questions, all the answers, all the cross tabs, it's all given out to the public. Uh, every Democrat and every Republican gets access to this. Uh, does this allegation or his response, meaning the allegation against Biden, make you uh, less likely to vote for Biden, more likely or have no effect? 58% say no effect. 84% had heard of it. So this allegation went right through uh, kind of the public sphere. And as of now, based on what people have heard, I would say that 58% uh, that means a solid majority, um, meaning those other groups have probably made up their mind. Solid majority say this is not really affecting his numbers, which is also reflected. I didn't go through all the horse races here because we're not, but Biden's generally ahead by about six points in the horse races nationally and behind in, in some of the swing states when the, the local state polls are taken. So Trump still has a potential advantage in the Electoral College and Biden still has a significant lead in the national polls, including this one. Then the last series of questions is on what people thought of the virus and what to do about it. Do you think the measures taken to control the virus so far have been reasonable? 51, too strict, 18. Not strict enough, 31. So as you can see, people are generally going with the flow, but remember there's so much fear out there that, you would, that it is expected that they will be a very cautious electorate looking for leadership. Now, do you think the rate of coronavirus infections in the US is growing faster or slowing down? <laughs> so one would argue that that's a factual question, but what's fascinating of course is there's a high degree of partisan and polarization and so does the American public play on the basis of the same facts? No. In fact, the public does not know whether or not things are getting worse or getting better. There's no clear consensus on that. To me, that is a failure of, of leadership in many ways to explain the facts, or maybe there is no understanding of the facts. Do you think mitigation efforts since the social distancing ordered by the White House was working? Yes, we believe in social distancing. Do you think hospitals have what they need in the, in the crisis? 51% say they do not have what they need. Still a majority. I don't know whether that's true or not, but it gives you the sense of what's been burned in through the media. But the number, the percentage who thinks they have what they need is actually up 12 points. It was 37% in April. Maybe it was more true in April. I don't know. But again, almost a 50-50 split on the second basic fact. Do you think we have flattened the curve, allowing the healthcare system to handle a response? We have flattened the curve, 45. We continue to have to have shelter-in-place orders across the country, 55. How much longer should we continue shelter-in-place? Well, as you can see, this, these numbers, which we've actually tracked, keep getting longer. So most people here are a month or more in terms of keeping shelter in place. Because again, a lot of fear, a lot of concern. Are you most concerned about opening up too soon? 
Yes. Most concerned about opening up too soon. So remember, factually, it may turn out that opening up now is the better thing to do. That's different from this is just public opinion. Public opinion is rather frightened. Uh, women more frightened than men about opening up. Democrats are at 82%, but even Republicans are at 56. Should, now, there's a big difference between general questions on opening up and specific cases. When I get down to specific reasonable cases, opinion changes. Should stores that use masks and limit customers be allowed to open or open only if they're an essential service? They believe that all the stores that follow the rules, 5545, should be open. That this limitation on, quote, essential services, does it really make sense that they all go to the grocery store, but they don't go to the shoemaker, right? They were shoemakers. You think President Trump has reached across the aisle? Question very important to, uh, I think, no labels. 45% say he's been reaching across the aisles. 55% say his actions have been mostly partisan. This is up from 51%. So he is seen as increasingly partisan. And it's clear he has, in fact, gotten more partisan. And then do you think the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has been reaching across the aisle? work of Republicans, or have her actions been mostly partisan? 58% uh, mostly partisan. That remains unchanged. This has been a consistent negative for the Democrats that they seem partisan, but now the Republicans are seeming uh, somewhat more, at least Trump is seeming somewhat more partisan. So, so the truth of the matter is the country looks at both of them and says, you know what? Nobody is really rising above here in a bipartisan way and reaching across the aisle. Uh, and, and I think that they're, they're now sinking back into, you know, basically politics, politics as usual. Do you think the Trump administration and Congress should put forward another stimulus bill? Yes, 73%. Should the size of the bill be 500 billion, a trillion, two trillion, three trillion? Well, as you can see, again, 27% say no. So this is of the 73%. So there's, there's significant support here for one to two trillion in, in uh, additional stimulus. Again, this is not expert opinion, it's public opinion. Their attitude is we're worried, this is worse than I thought, it's getting worse or getting better, I don't know, and we should spend whatever it takes. Then I asked for each one of the specific elements of the proposed $3 trillion bill, again, they're basically do everything. Testing, healthcare, essential workers, direct payments, renters, state and local taxes deductible. I think I could have put anything on here. Food stamp program. They are like just they're 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 supportive, except the one thing that 70% allowing non-citizens here illegally to receive direct payments. That's the one flash button wedge issue right, that takes otherwise with ease uh, pretty much a bipartisan consensus could be reached here across whatever are, in fact, the appropriate things that experts think we should be spending the money on. Coming to the home stretch, when dealing with the coronavirus, do you think we should act only on what promotes fewer infections, or do we need to balance the infections with preserving? So 63% do say we need to balance 37% only, which is a big number, almost four in 10, only to minimize in, in infections. 
And do you think it's better to have the response directed by the federal government or to have each state? They're actually fine with each state 60%, over 40% directed by the federal government, right? And finally, are you optimistic that the US will overcome the virus in a reasonable time or pessimistic that this could take years? Optimism, frankly, is down. This was higher. This was almost 20 points higher the previous month. Now people are more pessimistic. This is going to take longer than they thought. How long will it take before things return to normal? Most people are in the almost eight to 12 months. So everybody's pushed their time horizons back. And that, of course, means that they support actually more government intervention and support. And that is with that. Uh, Liz, however you want to, however we're running this, or John, however you want to run questions, happy to take questions and open up a conversation. So Mark, thanks for the presentation. I found it really interesting. Uh, I have one, one question for you about your data, and I think somebody else echoed something similar. So I, uh, I never, it's been many years since I went to a gym class and my office is in my house. So uh, those questions wouldn't, uh, wouldn't really be relevant to me. So did you have a way of uh, accounting for that or normalizing for people who normally didn't do those activities or, or are still going, for example? Yeah, cert certain questions, certain of the questions were uh, screened for whether or not you, whether, whether or not you were working from home and normally working in an office. I didn't go through all those screens. We didn't, we didn't really screen the gym stuff on whether or not you've got a home gym or not, but we did screen on the office stuff. So if you look in the, if you go back, if you look at the whole deck, uh, cause the whole deck is probably three or four times bigger. You'll see how the, the flow on that. Okay. I'll, I'll ask a question. Can't quite see me, but um, you had indicated that 75% are afraid to go out. But I would imagine at least 30 or 40% of the country is still working. People in supermarkets, warehouses, you know, guys who are doing the cable electric. There's a lot of people out there still working. So are they part of your poll or how do they fit into this? Yeah, there's about 30% who say that they are still, they are still working. But you know, even someone you you have to understand that, as I said, with fear and desire, Americans hold a lot of contradictory uh, attitudes and opinions, and then they don't always act on all of them. So I may be afraid to leave my house, but I still have to go to work because I'm a policeman, right? Or or just so so I have to go to work, but but I'm still afraid. So I can I can have those two things, you know, at the same time. I, I'm, maybe it's, I don't even think it's 30%, I think it's like 22% that are, that are actually continuing, you know, completely uh, normal, uh, normal work who are in uh, the workforce. So, I mean, that's how, you, that's how you kind of make that consistent. And then it really doesn't matter if 75% have that, they may, desire may overcome and they may go out anyway. I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, it's a swirl of emotions and decisions and then, and then, well, okay, I don't really want to go out and I'm afraid of my house, but I guess I need my groceries, so I'm going anyway, right? So all of those things. The, the, the major point is the backdrop here to what anyone's trying to do is a huge curtain of fear now, a curtain of fear that has descended on the country. And so it's a lot easier to start a lockdown than it is to get out of one. Mark, I have a question. It's Maxine Clark. 
Uh, thank you for that great uh, report. And it'd be interesting to read the whole thing. I wondered if when you talk about fear that you, you know, you're basically saying everybody has fear, even young people and old people. But did you see any differences by, by parts of the country or is it there anywhere in the data by state that we could go and look at? Because it looks um, on TV, some people are out there celebrating already. Um, I, I do have it uh, regionally and there will be regional differences. But my point is there, there won't be huge differences actually, right? There will be, you know, 10% difference. Here's 30 that in fact, what surprises me, if you think about it, in, in, in reality, do people under 30 have a lot to worry about? No. Are people under 30 just as worried as people over 60? Yes. So now are New Yorkers and people in the New York area going to be more worried than people in, uh, you know, uh, a more isolated rural? Yes, but, but, but not, you know, not, not zero over here and 100 over here. It'll be like 80 over here and 65 over there. There'll be a difference, but it's relatively muted, right? And so there's, and particularly women and then women, uh, mothers also are then particularly afraid about their children now, right? Especially after the CDC put out that notification about the potential lung disease among children, even though it was a relatively small factor out of millions of children, that was enough to create kind of a wave of parental fear. So um, uh, there are differences. And remember, even in my fear charts, there's about you know, 20, again, there's 25% who are, are fearless. So even if there's 75%, 25% is a lot of people. It's still 75, 80 million people, right? A little bit more distributed. So if they want to go out and have a demonstration or hit the bars, they can make a pretty big, pretty big splash, more than enough to show up on any media. So let's just go in order here. Glenn Lowenstein has a question. Yeah, Mark, thank you very much for um, sharing all that with us. I, I have a question. I, I was struck by 50 to 82% of the people are fearful of doing something, and 41% of the people are pessimistic. And in your career of polling and in your judgment, does, is that a dangerous cocktail for us? the next couple of years in terms of economic growth? Well, yes. I mean, I don't know how, you see, let me tell you something about Americans and their attitudes. They're absolutely positively definite until they change their mind. And so there's usually, <laughs> remember this whole thing descended upon the country kind of February and March. And so everything that people thought about what we were doing in the economy just went on its head. Then, and then the second thing is first you underestimate the crisis, then you overestimate it. So then this tremendous wave of fear kind of gripped and then it receded a little bit, but then it went back up. A lot of negativity coming out of the media. I mean, I do talk to, you guys have doctors and others. Today there's news of a pretty successful vaccine, you know, first round test, but but yes, if the fear is not unlocked, then that will be a major drag on the economy. And is it appropriate or right to unlock the fear? Or did we really intend to unlock the fear because none of this stuff was going to work 
if you didn't really frighten people, uh, you know, out of their wits, which was successfully done, right? But now there's kind of a lack of leadership, right? Trump pulled back, the governors on the start, the governors are all, were all kind of off in their way. And I don't think, you know, Biden's in the basement. And so where's the national leadership? Fauci is the closest thing to a national leader and he's going to Congress telling them, well, I don't know if there'll be a vaccine. So that's creating the situation where half thinks it's getting better, half thinks it's getting worse. Wall Street clearly thinks it's getting better. Medical people, you know, think it will get better. Uh, and then if I ask people, there's another question I didn't have time to show, but it basically comes out a third thinks it's getting better, a third thinks it's getting worse, and a third thinks it's saying the same. So how can you, you know, there's absolutely no consensus about what's happening at the moment. Now that doesn't mean that with two weeks of leadership or two weeks of change numbers, that all this couldn't change 30 or 40 points. It surely could. I see Bill Galston. Bill Galston, yeah. Thank you. Oh, you know, first of all, Mark, that was a that was a terrific presentation. I think it's by by far the best you know data that I've seen on various dimensions of this. Uh, and I would say that you ended up largely confirming uh, the central findings of, of of other surveys. And if I were going to summarize it, first of all, this phrase that you've repeated two or three times: the curtain of fear pervasive. That's number one. Number two, uh, in the context of this fear, uh, a lot of appetite for government to step into the economic breach and to go big. And third, uh, you know, uh, a lot of caution about a reopening that seems to be abrupt, pell-mell, not carefully thought out and, and phased in. Uh, those seem to me, and I'm also struck by the fact that in a number of different areas, people seem to have gotten more pessimistic in the last in the last month about how long it's going to take to reopen, things of that sort. So, you know, let me just make up a science fiction example. You're advising a presidential candidate. Uh, uh, what you know? What kind of advice would you be giving a presidential candidate? just looking at these data, but trying to balance them with a sense of, of responsibility to the country in the future. Yeah, I, I, I do think that, that right now, let's say I was advising someone who was in the White House, whoever he was, I would say, you got to get out there with a clarity about whether it's getting better. I mean, there, I think the number of deaths today was 800, which was a record low in weeks. Darned if you could find that number anywhere. Uh, it is it is absolutely hard to find, you know, but to absolutely provide some clarity about what we're doing, how we're doing it, even if the administration thinks it has done that and thinks it has a clear program, it sure hasn't communicated that effectively since the briefing's over and there's no oval. So I would be like all all over that, you know, and going back to regular communications you know, carefully tailored and clear and with information. People don't, you know, how many deaths, how many people in the hospitals, are the hospitals overloaded, are they not? We're, you know, I'd be communicating the real facts and information here and not let it go to worldometer, you know, to pick out whatever it is they pick out. 
And, and if I were on the other side, if I were a challenger, if I were a challenger, I never would have, have stayed on the sidelines. I would have been active immediately in terms of helping to take a bipartisan approach, right? And to raise the level of debate and, and be above politics. And in fact, I would have told everybody, the existing president or the challenger president, that what people are looking for is someone who's above politics in this period of time, willing to concede, you know, that you need to find a bipartisan solution. And nobody really did that. Uh, now, if you happened to be the challenger president and you didn't get out there out front, then your strategy of duck and cover is okay because it's not your responsibility. Nobody thinks that the challenger candidate is responsible for anything that's happening. And that may just turn out to have been a good strategy. It worked in the primaries. It may work in the general. And then Trump is uh, going to succeed or fail on how he does. And either you're there to pick up the pieces or not. But, um, but that's the strategy. I would not try to go back and do strategy one. <laughs> it's too late for that. Having successfully said it's his problem to solve, and I'm here to talk about America's future, particularly when I have a VP candidate, when we come out of this thing, and show I, how I could have done better, um, that may just turn out to be a perfectly fine strategy if it's not what I ever would have proposed in the beginning. Very okay. interesting question, Bill. Good afternoon, everyone. This is the first time I've been on one of these, and I've found it very interesting. Mark, thank you uh, for all those numbers. Um, my two questions is, is that in any, in any of the polls, uh, have they questioned uh, Vice President Biden's cognitive ability, his increasing gaffes, and how that's going to play out? And then my second question is related to the information you just uh, spoke about. Obviously, the, uh, the administration is not putting out uh, some important data relative to the ages of people that are dying. The majority, based on what I've heard, and I'm a 69-year-old man, but that they're over 80, or certainly over 65 or 70, uh, which would give some confidence to those that are under 40 uh, to take away some of that fear. So why isn't anybody why isn't anybody doing that on either side of the political spectrum? And again, the polling question regarding uh, Vice President Biden. Yeah, on, on the Biden gaps, I haven't done any direct polling on, on that question. I note that he's still well liked and people are still voting for him. So it's obvious that, and, and I say, look, I don't pay much attention to the source race right now because we don't have what's called a joint race in which the two candidates actually battle each other. Right now, this race is Trump v. Trump, and, and Biden is there if, uh, as a referendum of Trump, the way this race has gone so far. That's different from when Biden will come out uh, and, and will start to generate an actual race. And I think, I think his race will kick off the day he really announces the vice president because it will be an event, finally, uh, other, other, than just, other than just talk. But no, I don't have any direct information 
on on uh, the the gaffes or not. Most people know him. He served successfully as vice president. There's obviously a lot of tapes going around on this, and uh, you know he's gonna. That's something that people are gonna see on stage in real time events uh, and judge for themselves. You know, but I don't have any polling on it yet. And uh, you know, your your second question is. <laughs> Why are these facts like age structure and so forth? You know, the and, and it's even hard to find on any of the, even though the New York Times or whatever, they say they gather all the details of all the cases. It is incredibly hard to find basic demographic information, right, that you might, uh, that you might point to. Uh, and I suspect part of it was, that the health officials wanted to scare everybody because in their point, in their perspective, it doesn't, didn't do any good given that the strategy was total lockdown to have uh, younger people not pay attention to it. So they've been very effective if that was the goal. If the goal was to adopt sensible public policy according to what was actually coming in uh, and based on kind of the facts relative to, well, that A didn't happen yet, and it's very hard for that to happen until someone with clarity puts the kind of information that you would want to know. You would want to know if the median age of, of people dying from the virus is 80. And you'd want to know if, if under 18, the mortality was zero. And you would expect that would be played up. Instead, quite the opposite has happened relative to the media. And so any judgments the electorate is making is not really based on detailed factual information on what's happening because they're not getting it. We have a little over 10 minutes left and we have two questions. I think we'll have time for both of them. First, Leslie Marinoff. So you presented a lot of uh, interesting information about people and health right now, right? So people are afraid that they're gonna die or they're afraid that they won't get ventilators because their hospitals won't have ventilators. Um, you presented a lot of confidence in Fauci, but then there are these dips when Trump blunders over uh, particulars and health um, recommendations. So, are you getting any? Are you getting a sense that what's happening right now is moving people in terms of wh what they think the responsibility of a national healthcare system is? Uh, I think that's my question. Well, yeah, that's actually an interesting question because I would say that, remember, the previously two most important issues were healthcare and immigration. So if you're someone that wanted healthcare programs expanded and greater coverage executed, you know, by the government or through a government uh, subsidized or controlled program, it seems to me that probably support for that is increasing as a result of people's experience where they say like, everybody should be tested. Everybody should have access to the test. Everybody, I think every single element, everybody agrees that it should be everybody. And then if I were gonna take the immigration issue, and I would think the opposite has really happened on the immigration issue. On the immigration issue, people are, you know, we got it, we should start it out being, I don't wanna be too tough. I don't know what the purpose of the getting, I don't know what the purpose of the borders, we need immigration anyway. So uh, that's quite different from where it is now, which is, my God, we need borders. We need to know about everything about everybody who's coming across any border. We need to shut down things. So I think uh, the healthcare issue 
goes, you know, if I was a little bit more towards public options, and I think the immigration issue goes more towards closed, carefully regulated borders, uh, as opposed to as opposed to not. And I, I don't think those, um, I think people are just beginning to come out of the cocoon of only thinking about the virus. But I think those are likely to be the long term impacts on those on the public. Really interesting. Thank you. Time for one more. Jeff Bloomberg. Um, I was just shocked at the um, the slide that, that showed 64% of the polled people felt that they would earn as much or more this year than they would last year, given that 70% um, of the economy is is really hurting. I mean, this, the economy is really a, a service and retail consumer-led economy. You can have 25,000 retail stores closing big bankruptcies. Mm -hmm. airlines, hospitality, et cetera. And you've got 25% unemployment now, 10% projected to year end with um, the GMP projected to be down 20 plus percent in the right. second quarter. How right. the hell can that happen? How can people feel as rosy as they do about their income in 2020 versus 2019? Yeah, uh, I would say in, I would say, uh, I thought the numbers would be worse. They are what they are. You know, I consistently I see that there's about a fifth to a third that doesn't uh, 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 really have seem to have an impact and about 40 percent. It does seem to be highly differentiated that way. Uh, I'll have to defer to economic, actual economic data over the poll data because poll data is always uh, just people's reactions of, of what they've said. So with that, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Yeah, thank you, Mark, so much. This was very interesting. A number of people have asked for our and we will get copy. we'll get a, a copy of everything and you can go yeah. to also harvardharrispolls.com and get even more. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Mark Penn runs through recent polling on a number of questions related to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as questions related to the upcoming US election. In discussing the latter, he notes President Trump had been slowly improving his job approval rating for 11 months, but that approval has started to dip amid the COVID-19 crisis and the aftermath of the tragic George Floyd killing. President Trump is seen as increasingly partisan, and Joe Biden's approval is on the rise. Go to nolabels.org to learn more about how we are bringing together a bipartisan group of public and private leaders working to stop the virus, save lives, and get Americans back to work. I'm Ryan Clancy, and this has been an episode of Gridlock Break, a No Labels podcast.